0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 448 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I am your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and some great writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl, a Maven and Reeve mystery. Al, how are you? Well, I'm speaking to you from my new computer for oh, starters. Oh, that's great. So we've
1: got that far with things. Anyone hmm. who's been sharing my technical woes over the last couple of weeks will be very excited to hear that, I'm sure. And I'm sure I sound <laughs> very modern. Do I sound very modern? Because very. my computer is very modern. Yes. Um, yeah, so we've got that far. And other than that, I'm fine because uh, book boy has finally finished year 12 we just have the HSC (gasps) to get through yep he's had his last day which was just a a very strange day such a life I know the five term year is finally over and just the exams to go um so yeah so that's happened and you know yeah he's been doing heaps of gigs so we've been doing that and yeah like things are sort of starting to feel like they're gonna be a bit more normal again which is great yeah Mm. that's where I'm up to what Mm. about you
0: I have been – oh, gosh, what have I been doing? So many things. I'm still trying to master my garden. Well, not master it but just vaguely keep it under control. Have you found
1: any further treasures buried in the undergrowth? And have you tried the the stand-up paddleboard that you found lurking in the leaves?
0: It's still lying there. (laughs) You haven't haven't even taken it out? No, because I haven't got a paddle. I've got oh. the is the there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that could be awkward. Yes, be
0: but I haven't good. found a paddle in the undergrowth. Right. Um, I suspect that we're going to find more stairs to nowhere. I found another stair to nowhere the wow. other day. Yeah, I know. It's it's quite there, there's there was obviously a lot of growth, like a lot, uh, and so we're pretty much going to the tip every two days. That's how much growth. Wow. Yes, going to the tip—it's
1: such an yeah. Aussie thing to do, isn't it? I love a good trip to the tip. Do you guys have like a tip shop as well, where pe- where they yes. fossick through and take out all the best bits? And yes, have you got there is a tip
0: shop? because the tip shop.
1: shop is a is a treasure trove. Oh, of it is. Just Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we picked so up a whole bike bench there one time. Oh, so many bikes. Yeah, mm. I think. Do you know? It's that's a tip if you are going on holidays, and you know you've got particularly these days when the driving holidays is, is back, and we're all whatever. Mm. Um, if you have no room for the three kids' bikes and whatever, get yourself along to the tip shop when you get to wherever it is you're going. Pick up a couple of clunkers to ride for them to ride around for oh, a few da- you know, yes. for a few days or whatever, and then take them back. That Perfect. is a great tip. I oh, know. Wow.
0: Look at me go! <laughs> I'm on fire. Love it. Okay. Hmm. So, what else has been happening? Um, geez, I need to prepare my questions. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <Do you laughs> I mean, do you prepare do you my answers. You'd think, <laughs> after
1: all these, all these years, and all of these episodes, that we would have figured out how to do this by now, wouldn't you? Like you think we'd have some
0: kind of an idea
1: of what we were doing? You tell Uh, me
0: what you've been doing in terms of the world of writing. Well, I am.
1: um, uh, I'm doing nano in my own special way with no particular, you know, no particular. um, I haven't joined a group, I haven't done whatever, but I did a a little bit of an interview. a week or so ago with the Words and Nerds podcast where we talked about my, my guide, my prep guide for mm. for Nano because, you know, I have done it a few times.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and I decided that I would I would do it but I'm just going to like ride their coattails and just sort of keep up with their sort of group. I'm not doing my own this year. Like normally I do write a book with Al or something but I just feel like I need to me- meander my way into some things at the moment and I'm not entirely sure That nano is the way for me to do that, but I am going to just borrow that motivation. I'm going to borrow that group. You know, mm. feeling group impetus and do that, um, which you know I think is not a bad way. If you're kind of half in and half out of it, just tag, tag yourself along to um, to an online thing, you know, on Twitter yes. or whatever social media you're going. Just mm. you know, get yourself involved in the conversations there, and you'll find that you you kind of just get motivation by osmosis, if nothing else. So um, that's my. That's my tip.
0: <laughs> and, of course, there is that very real thing for those people who are, like, borderline. You know, how you think, oh, I, 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 I've I, so many years I've been in this situation. Oh, shall I do Nano? Oh, shall I not? Oh, I can't engage. Oh, I don't have the time. Oh, but it'd be fun. You know, like you're on the fence, yes, right, I do. Yes. of deciding whether to join Nano or not. And then invariably what I do is I decide not to because, you know, I've got commitment issues or something and then – Nano right? I know. We.
1: I, I was. I've been waiting for hashtag Nano to mm. to start to. I mean, I was thinking probably next week we'd start talking about it because you'd be starting to feel it straight away. Yeah. Because I know. You, I know
0: you. And every single mm. year we do this. Nano And you, it's really you feel it quite intensely in the first half of the month. Because yes. that's when everyone else is yep. doing it and you're not part of the party. <laughs> no, that's right. But then by about halfway
1: through, people have just like petered out and fallen yeah. off the off the wagon and stuff like that. So then you can start to feel quite good about yourself for not having you put yourself through it. <laughs> mm. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how it goes.
1: All anyway. right.
0: Anyway, so we want to give a big shout out to Lynx Girl from Australia Ooh. who kindly left us a... Five star review, and uh, entitled it "Brilliant, humorous, intelligent, and informative." And Lynx Girl said, "Al and Val are engaging hosts that have been nothing but a joy to hear. Great oh. interviews with relevant people, and I love the three tips. Incredibly helpful." Wow! Thanks, Lynx. Thank girl. you.
1: I love to hear that we're nothing but a joy. Yeah, That's really, really nice. When I think it. about all of my sad sack responses to all the things that
0: you say to me and I'm still <laughs> nothing but a joy, I feel quite good about that. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the world in, of writing and publishing. This week I have a link for us which I just really enjoyed reading when I was having my pot or, or grey tea and uh, as I was pouring over the papers which tend to live on my dining room table for days as I work through them you know um, mm-hmm. at my leisure and it was by Caroline Overington who of course we've had on the podcast before not only is she a fantastic journalist she's also a great fiction writer her novels are you know and fantastic she also written, has written non-fiction books of course.
1: She's got a new one out hasn't she? Yes Caroline? she has yes, a new one Yes she does. We'll, um, we'll, we'll remember sure what that, that is in a minute. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Any minute now we're going to remember what that is. Any minute. But in the meantime, she has re- recently written this great article uh, in The Australian, and we'll put the link in the show notes, and she's called it a, a New Guide to Suppressed Australian Literature, Books That You're Not Allowed to Read. So Mm -hmm. she talks about the fact that in the National Library of Australia, there is basically a section (laughs) that is under lock and key. And nobody is allowed to read these books, not without special permission, which is nearly impossible to obtain. Hmm. Some wow. examples – so they, they're, they're there for all, all different reasons. Some are just mm-hmm. for, because of wacky typos, some because they're very controversial, some because they're factually incorrect. Um, some, uh, but basically they shouldn't have been published. They shouldn't have got out there up for some reason Um, and she gives the example of the emu poison bush which was in 1996 by Peter Ford and it was withdrawn from general sale at the request of uh, um, the Arente people in Central Australia after an elder discovered it contained men's secrets just two copies of the book were kept and they're now stored in this strong room yep wow And the only people who can access it are male elders of, um, you know, particular lands. Wow, okay. Yeah. So but there's a whole lot of books that you just go, really? I see (laughs) Belle Gibson's
1: The Whole Pantry is in there, um, which is interesting, Uh, which was uh, obviously um, if you – You may remember the controversy around that, but it was taken off off the shelves after journalists, including some from the newspaper in which this article was printed, Mm. discovered that she had never had brain cancer Mm. and therefore didn't cure it with her recipes. Mm. Um, And that was a a hugely, um, well, sensational media story, let's face it. It it was all over the place for weeks, wasn't it? Oh, um,
0: absolutely. I mean, and Apple also pulled the, the the app from their store. She yes, spectacular fell from grace after she was basically making fraudulent claims about her health.
1: But then, how about this? Early versions of Peter Carey's Oscar and Lucinda were withdrawn after students discovered that Chapter Forty Two was missing from some yes, editions. How
0: bizarre is that? How do you miss a whole chapter?
1: Oh, I'm, really? I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. How do you notice? Yes. That? How do you not notice it? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. But it's obviously one that's um, they've they've obviously got taken it back, sent it back yes. out probably with a different cover. Who knows? And yes. there it is in the yes. in the stronghold
0: in the strong room. That's right, and but like an entire chapter. Two, I don't know why that should be in the strong room, though. That's kind of really. I'm not sure. That's a bit it's, weird. Yeah, because it's like I have a copy of, and I've kept it because you know it, I think it's a bit unusual, of Gideon Hayes' book, The Office, because there's a chapter which just stops mid-sentence, and they've inserted a piece of paper, like a photocopied piece of paper, like that you'd done on a stenciling machine, to oh, really? include the rest of the. Um, you know, the missing paragraphs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seems to be like I'm just reading through the list here and it's 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 books that have been withdrawn. For example, Ada mm. Cambridge's Unspoken Thoughts, described as intimate and personal poetry, was withdrawn in 1887. So it's in there because it was withdrawn. According mm. to the writer's family, she never said why, only that she had a double reason for requesting the book be withdrawn from sale. A double oh, that's reason.
0: intriguing.
1: Isn't it intriguing? That's like the premise for a book or
0: something. Like
1: it is a, actually. You know, yes. Could someone go, could someone go and write that one for us, please? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's a whole lot of um, books in there, and it's fascinating to see uh, why books are withdrawn. sometimes you don't know, as with Ada mm. Cambridge's unspoken thoughts. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, y- you do wonder,
1: right? Yeah, and if you're interested in finding out more, you can have a look at Geoffrey Keynes' fascinating new book, Access Denied, a bibliography of suppressed Mm. Australian
0: literature. Fantastic. We'll put all of the links in the show notes. All right, now, want to let everyone know that our hotly anticipated. Romance Writing Course will launch this week, which is perfect for anyone who wants to learn how to write engaging romance fiction that readers and publishers will love. This, and I've gone through the whole course, is a super comprehensive course. It's absolutely fascinating and it takes you into this this genre, which is the biggest selling genre in fiction. You'll learn everything from all the different genres and subgenres in the category. How to weave a tight narrative that's filled with interesting characters and intimacy, because of course that's important in romance, to mm-hmm. the best publishing options for your book. Also, interestingly, it is uh you, you learn about the different levels of intimacy that oh. you can write for different types of subgenres. Because you've got to mm. get The level of hotness or lack of hotness, sometimes sweetness, right – when Absolutely. it comes to romance. But also to celebrate the release of our Romance Writing Course, you can join our free o- online live event happening on Thursday, the 4th of November at 7.30 Sydney, Melbourne time, uh, where uh, course creator Pamela Freeman will be joined by romance author Carly Anthony. And together they're going to be sharing practical advice and insights on how to write your own Romance novels. So, if you want to know how you can join that, uh, head to our special events hub at writercenter.com.au and RSVP so that you can get all of the details to this free online event. So, if you want to find out more about the romance course, just go to writercenter.com.au/romance. Writercenter.com.au/romance to get this self-paced course at its special launch price. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies. Three copies of Bewilderment by Richard Powers, picked as one of the best books of 2021 in the Sunday Times. This is the brand-new novel from the Pulitzer Prize-winning and Booker Prize shortlisted author of The Overstory. Theo Byrne is a promising young astrobiologist. He's also the widowed father of a most unusual nine-year-old. His son Robin thinks and feels deeply, adores animals and can spend hours painting elaborate pictures. He's also on the verge of being expelled from third grade for smashing his friend's face with a metal thermos. <laughs> Sounds like a kid, I know. Um, what can a oh. father do <laughs> when the only solution offered to this boy is to put him on psychoactive drugs? What can he say when his son asks why the world that is clearly in love with – what blah, excuse me <laughs> – what can he say when his son asks why the world that is he's, he's clearly why in love the with,
1: world is clearly in love with its own destruction.
0: Oh, I'm just I, I did a workout this morning and then I, I was got gonna a, say I did don't a coffee and the lady said, You look exhausted. Oh. That's what happened. The only thing for it is to take the boy to other planets while all all the while fostering his desperate campaign to help save this one. Oh, my goodness, I got through wow, that. Okay. I, yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry Look, about I tell that, you what,
1: everyone. The book is a lot better <laughs> than, <laughs> than, the <laughs> than the delivery right there.
0: <laughs> oh, that'll teach me not to work out before I do this recording. Okay. Uh, if you want your chance to win, go to writercentercom slash win to win one of three copies of Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Entries close on the 8th of November. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Now, Al, hmm. are you ready for the word of the week? <sighs> Always ready, though. Always. Okay. It is cacoethes. Hmm. Cacoethes. Hmm. C-A-C-O-Cacoethes. E-T-H-E-S. Cacoethes. hmm Know what it is? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it means an irresistible urge or mania mm. yes so you might say so
1: so something like your irresistible urge or mania to share words of the week with me Is yeah. that, are we in the ballpark with that that's or?
0: right that's right it overcomes me every week it really K- does. The cohesiveness <laughs> overcomes me every week to share the word of the week. Absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, "How to Write for Children and Young Adults," will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it, Al?
1: Well, our writer in residence this week is author illustrator Sammy Bailey. And I have to confess that my cacoothes to do this particular interview <laughs> was totally driven by the fact that I just want to know how it's done. So she creates these fantastic kind of beautifully designed, beautifully illustrated sort of encyclopedias of Ugly Animals, uh, Dangerous Animals and the latest one which is about peculiar pairs in nature and they have been you know long-listed, short-listed and won all of the various awards uh, in children's fiction over the last uh, couple of years and uh, they're non-fiction and the illustrations in them is stunning. They're like natural history sort of illustrations and so it came as no surprise to me to discover that she had actually gone to university and done a an entire degree in natural history illustration. So, oh, wow. once I saw once I saw that, oh, I wow. had to follow up the story and find mm. out how this all happened because I just found myself thinking um it, the books came about by chance. The books came about in one of those Cinderella stories that you never hear about, mm. and I just wondered what I had to ask, I wanted to ask her what she was going to do with a natural history illustration degree had the yeah. books not occurred. That's yes. actually the whole reason why I did this interview. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs>
1: no, not really. I'm joking, but yeah, they're, they're beautiful um, nonfiction for kids, and it's a it's a great story. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Sammy Bailey is an Australian author and illustrator trained in scientific illustration through a Bachelor of Natural History Illustration, brackets honours. Her first book, the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Ugly Animals, won the Children's Indie Book of the Year Award and the Australian Book Design Awards, and was shortlisted for a host of other awards, while her second book, the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Dangerous Animals, received the honour award for the CBCA Eve Pownall Award and was also shortlisted for many other awards. Her third book, the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Peculiar Pairs in Nature, is out now. Welcome to the program, Sammy. Hello. Thank you. What an entrance. I
2: feel very special.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. I put on my best voice for that one. Um, Now, let's talk about how you came to write these rather extraordinary books because they have done incredibly well. They have actually come out quite close together um, I thought for the amount of work that is obviously involved in them and they're really uh, a beautiful beautiful set. Um, Now your first love is clearly illustration do you know the Bachelor of Natural History illustration does give that away a little bit Um, how did you come to write your first book?
2: Well, this is always a fun story because it's never what anyone expects. And I found that the more uh, authors I talk to, the more illustrators I talk to, they almost every single one of them has a bizarre story as how they entered. So essentially, uh, it all started with the illustration of a bin chicken. And that is an Ibis Australian white <laughs> ibis, if you don't know. And, um, and so I was at uni. I was in my third year towards the end of the year. And um, I was starting to get to that point where I was like, okay, Now I have to figure out what I'm going to do in the real world, uh, as most uni students do. And it gets really overwhelming, uh, really scary, and especially creative-based careers. Uh, You have this whole other world of pressure to try and figure out how you're going to pay the bills with your job. So I was dealing with that. That was enough. And then um, I was also having to create my body of work for this last assignment. And um, we were able to choose our theme and I chose uh, Australian wetlands, New South Wales wetlands. And um, I wanted to do uh, a portrait of an ibis. So I did this detailed A3 close-up portrait of this, um, you know, bald, wrinkly, uh, funny-looking ibis to basically – because it was kind of – I think – I'm trying to go back. I think it was around 2016, 2017 – and um and so this was around the craze when ivas were you know the bin chicken joke was going off and the merch were everywhere and, and everyone loved to joke about the bin chickens and so i thought why don't i look into the bin chickens see if there's anything unusual about their story admire you know their true inner beauty because although that they look funny and and they're in the bins and yada yada i think that it's important to understand what is happening with them absolutely uh, and so I basically looked into them and found that their habitats are being destroyed at a rapid rate, um, especially in the Sydney areas and built up cityscapes, um, which is why they're, they're in bins, because they're looking for food. And they have adapted really well, in my opinion, to be able to use their beaks for the bins and not go extinct, which is really the other option. So uh, that's why I focused on them. And I did up a bit of a, uh, a blurb. And uh, that was part of my project. And then a competition with the Australian Museum was running. It was the first one where they did a scholarship um, with the – so they had – it was based on the Scott sisters, and I'm not sure if you know who they are, but they're some really influential women uh, back in the day who lived in Newcastle and and were essentially the first female scientific illustrators. And so it was based on them, and I entered, and I just so happened to be the co-winner with another lady from my degree, um, and – They put the article and the information about my ibis and the picture in City Morning Herald. And then it just so happened again that uh, the publisher and the head of children's publishing at Hachette was reading the paper, saw my illustration of the uh, bin chicken and contacted me and said, do you want to make a kid's book on ugly animals?
1: Wow, that's quite a story. It is. It's hard to compress. No, but it's an like it's it is really like it's the Cinderella story, isn't it? Like the fairy godmother swept in and said, M- yeah. "Write me a book," right?
2: Exactly, and and that's why you know I get some people contacting me saying, um, "You know, do you have an, any advice to have into the publishing company industry or kids book industry?" And I'm like, "Look, I can give you my best advice, but I, I don't really have you know, my story is kind of different, and I can't offer too much help with my with my experiences, unfortunately."
1: So let me ask a couple of questions here. I've got one question that came to me as you were having that conversation. Generally speaking, where would you go with a Bachelor of Natural History Illustration? Like what is the career path for them?
2: It is a very niche degree and it is the only one, the Southern Hemisphere, at Newcastle Uni, which is where I studied. And uh, and when I began my course, there was around maybe 30 students studying and then when I got to honours, which is the fourth year, there was, I think, six. So right. um, it's not a huge degree. Uh, a lot of people did, you know, pop in for some courses and then they dropped out. And, and you know, you had very different people from different, uh, you know, lives. And me entering straight essentially from school, you had people who were ex-teachers who were either retired or, um, you know, maybe wanted a break. We had med students. Everyone would come in. And so not everyone has a goal of making a career from it and I think that's why unfortunately uh the uni course has been cut um because it didn't have the highest rate of uh graduates finding jobs in the field Mm. um it was more so about the experience you gain and the the talent and the you know the stuff that you learned which was really valuable but uh, what I used to tell people, because people would ask me this all the time, what are you going to do with your life? Um, you could become uh, uh, textbook illustrators, so you could do all of the incredibly uh, detailed and sometimes gory illustrations for medical textbooks. Um, you could do you know animal infographics, infographics in general. You could go down the design routes. You could go down the biology routes. Uh, you could make kids' books. <laughs> Clearly. So, um, you could make adults' books. You could make... Uh, Almost anything, or you could use um, your skills to be freelance and do commissions for people. You could do murals. Uh, so anything that basically focused on art and or science, you could step into any of those worlds.
1: All right. So <clears throat> you've stepped into book publishing, like with, <laughs> with your picture in the paper <laughs> and the bin chicken. Yeah. Um. What was your response when she said, you know, can you make <laughs> me a, a book about ugly animals? Because it is quite an undertaking, and you've obviously never done a book before. So what was your
2: kind of first thought and your first steps? It was, uh, well, it was funny because she didn't contact me directly because she didn't have a way to actually contact me. So she found out that I went to uni uh, and contacted my lecturer. And so my lecturer forwarded me on the email that said, you know, I'd love to get in touch with Sammy for a kid's book idea, blah, blah, And he, he I remember he said, oh, this sounds promising. Um, and so he forwarded it on and, and we were both like, oh, wow, I want, this might help with the you know, this might be a fun honors project. That's what we were thinking of mainly that I could use um, this concept of making a kid's book or what goes into making a kid's book for my honors project. And that would realistically be as far as it went, you know, if it ever got published, we were both very grounded in the sense that this is not the most common way to start your career. Mm. So don't get your hopes up. And and I'm glad that that was the way that I did go because I didn't have these un, you know, unrealistic expectations. So um, so as soon as we got involved in talking about you know, the contract side of things, when you start talking about actually making a book, that's more so when I realized that it was a bit more serious and, and there was going to be something, you know, whatever it was. Oh, I
1: thought were going to produce something.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is okay. So this is going to result in a form of a book and hopefully people buy it and and so I remember we started with, I think it was 50 animals for the book. We were like, okay, we'll do 50 animals. Publishing team were absolutely amazing and said, we give you full creative control. You do. We love what you your illustrations. So you choose the animals, you illustrate them how you want, uh, and then we'll work with the designer to put it all together. Wow. And um, and I said, okay, what about the writing side? Are you going to get a, an author in? <laughs> and they were like, no, okay, you're going to do it. And I was like, I'm sorry. I think about it. Wow! <laughs> so it was completely unexpected because you know, for all they knew, I didn't know how to write. So I didn't know how to do anything to do with writing. So they really had all of their faith, and they put it in me, and it made it uh, a lot more daunting in a way. But it also it made me realise that this was something that I could do to really show how hard I can work. How how uh you know if i really want to focus on a task i can do it and i will get it done so i said let's push it up to 60 animals instead of the 50 and i will do all the line drawings as well the size comparisons and so it was about a year from uh start to handover of the artworks and text and um in that year as well i was doing my honors thesis and I also went to Borneo for two weeks. So, um, I, yeah, I was a busy, busy lady <clears> in that time. <throat>
1: <laughs> so, given, uh, you know, that you haven't, like, given that you're not technically, or you, at that point, you were not technically a writer, how did you, like, had you done much writing at all? Had you, obviously, you'd done uni stuff. Mm. Um, did you approach it like a uni project? Is that how you approach the writing aspect of
2: it? Yeah, well, that, I was incredibly overwhelmed and I, and I thought, I was sort of saying because at that point I had, did we didn't know whether how we would structure the book. So if you don't know the book already, it is basically a page of um, text and page of illustration, and the page of text is broken up into different categories to make it kind of easy to di- digest. And I did that not only for the kids but for myself as well because that's how I enjoy reading a book uh, when it comes to animal facts. And sometimes I get overwhelmed with a big big wall of text, and I I kind of my brain turns off sometimes, and so I wanted to to make these easy to read sections. If you want to learn straight away about what it looks like, you want to learn straight away about where it lives, you can find that as well as reading the entire page. And as a kid, I really struggled with uh, writing and um, uh, reading and and spelling, and I never had it diagnosed, but I definitely think I have some form of dyslexia that I still struggle with to this day. But um, and so I would constantly you know be getting red crosses on my essays and stuff in school being like you spelled that wrong or that phrase wrong or you know and so I had a lot of self-doubt when you know thinking okay now I have to write my own book but I'm a terrible writer what do I do Uh, and so the publishing team were great they said you know we want this to be for kids at the end of the day we don't expect we don't want a scientist to write it because we want it to be um, easy to read for kids we want you to write it in your way do your research and and format it in a way. We'll obviously have editors helping you with spelling and um, uh, grammar errors, but uh, and so it took a lot of pressure off, and I was able to really focus on, just like I had done for uni projects. When you're researching, you know, like an ibis, you you're looking up the description, you're looking up where it lives, its conservation status. You know, you're also finding along the way the fun facts and a scientific name, and and I was able to to use all of that knowledge and practice and turn it into my own way of writing and and reading and learning and and put it in a book
1: so did you basically approach it as in what do I want to know about this ibis was it like what 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 would I want to know if I opened this if I was a kid and I opened this book what would I want to know about this ibis is that how you went about sort of structuring your research in the sense of you know okay it lives here its conservation status is this it, it, it has these characteristics is that like yeah. was it sort of
2: that sort of a underpinning the, the research. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was more so what would I want to read as a kid? What would I want to read now? Cause I don't want to limit it to just kids. I want mm. adults to enjoy it, which is really important because a lot of time adults are the ones reading it to their kids. And so I thought I, you know, these are the things that I, everyone wants to know about an animal as to, you know, where it lives, maybe how big it is and, and stuff like that. But I thought, not. Many kids, maybe not uh, not all kids, anyway, want to know or either think to know about the conservation status of an animal and what that means. Mm. And so that was something that I learned in uni that was really important to me. And I thought, this is I don't want this to be just a pretty book. I want this to be a book with a message behind it, and I want that message to be animal conservation as well. And teaching these kids from a young age what conservation status means. What it means to be uh, endangered or of least concern, um, the positive and negatives that are behind that, and then uh, in in more detail, what are the different things that these animals from all over the world are facing, and what are the threats? And unfortunately, the most common, you know, uh, theme behind the, the behind those threats are humans and mm. human impact. There's almost uh, no occasionally uh, the, a predator that you know mm. is. Made eating too many of these fish, but almost all of the other reasons were humans are destroying their environment, humans are hunting and destroying too many of them, overfishing. Uh, Everything you can imagine is involving humans, and I wanted that message to be learnt by kids early. This is what an impact, how big of an impact humans can have, Let's lower and lessen that impact.
1: So how did you go about researching the material? Like did you go to the Natural Mm -hmm. History Museum? Did you Google? Did you go to Borneo, clearly, what, <laughs> what, what what sort of, like, you know, how did you sort of look at the sources and what did you do there?
2: Yeah, well, I wish I could have um, gone to the at lengths I did where I went to Borneo to study the proboscis monkey. I wish I could do that for every single animal <laughs> in the book. <laughs> I'd be very poor and, and um, but very well-traveled. Yes. So because um, there's 60 animals in the book uh, and I believe, I don't know off the top of my head, but definitely less than half are Australian. In um in all books, but it's particularly the ugly animals, and um and so I wanted to make sure that if I hadn't if I hadn't had the ability to visit this animal in person, which you know maybe I can see a cassowary at a zoo and learn about there, but things like a blobfish or an Antarctic scale worm, where I can't actually see it, uh, I can't visit it in its habitat because it lives very far down the ocean, and um I can't get you know the stuff that I want if I visit it in person. So essentially it came down to a few really important websites. And uh, the main one that I would always start with with was the IUCN Red List uh, of Threatened Species. And oh. um, if you're not familiar with that, um, it is essentially a worldwide database of animals and uh, they're increasing their plant um, range as well from all over the world. And you type in their scientific name or sometimes their common name and it brings up, uh, they almost have all animals. There are a couple (laughs) that are listed, uh, that do not exist on there yet. And, um, I think the blobfish is one of them, which is quite tricky. And so it has their scientific name, all of that really important information as to, you know, when it was discovered or, uh, who by, it also talks about where they are found their distribution, talks about the threats they face, uh, their conservation status, which was the most important thing because that is the most reliable uh, source for conservation status of an animal unless you are able to go to that location and talk to experts in the field as well. Um, and so I would start there and it was just a great way of su- su- sort of having this uh, page of succinct information about a creature that summarised it in a scientific way that was reliable and not like Wiki <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, And so I made sure that that's where I started And then I would go to, uh, if it was an Australian animal, I would visit the Australian Museum website uh, and find, you know, maybe what information they had. Um, And I would also look at National Geographic, Australian Geographic, uh, a lot of different zoo websites across the world and Australia had a really good database about um, their research programs. Uh, I would contact scientists in, you know, experts of certain scientific uh, fields. I would um, go and uh, look at, Scientific papers and try and read my way through the really complex text there and and try and figure out what I could take from that to then share with kids, which was kind of complex sometimes. But uh, I would read books, I'd listen to podcasts, (laughs) I was doing almost everything that I could imagine um, to get the information that not, uh, you know, not the most normal and basic information that everyone already knew about a creature. I wanted to go further than that and explore the unexplored essentially which is interesting
1: because then you end up with an awful lot of information like you've got Mm -hmm. like what you're just talking about there I'm just imagining this stacking up you know like even if it was just like printouts off the off the computer how did you then work out what to leave out
2: it was huge and, and especially with this most recent book where it's peculiar pairs and so as you can imagine it's double the illustration because I'm doing two creatures, but it's also double the research and double the results. And so I'm trying to with the same uh, slightly larger word, um, you know, limit. And so I think the first ugly animals was about three hundred, maybe four hundred words was the limit. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm studying uh, an ibis or whatever I end up studying, and then I'm finding all of these different stories where I'm del- delving into as to, you know, the the back of their heads and, and why it sometimes flashes red um, to do with mating. And, and you could go into a whole a whole book about just that. And then you're learning about their mating rituals where they pass sticks to each other in the trees. And, and I'm like, okay, I could go into a whole book of that. And and all of a sudden I'm like, I want to include all this information, but I have to limit this page worth of knowledge to a sentence to be able to make sure I can include a lot of this stuff and in a lot of different areas. And so things that I couldn't quite fit into description um, habitat conservation status diet would go into a fun fact and that was was my way of being like okay I'm going to put the most bizarre things that I want to know and I know the kids want to know into fun facts and sometimes there were um, sometimes they were a bit dark just fun facts and so the publishing team were like okay this is fun facts let's keep them positive but they were like (laughs) oh, the such and such, kill this. And I'm like, okay, i got to fix that. <laughs> it, was, it was really challenging.
1: It would be. And I'm even deciding what you're going to, which animals you're going to include, because obviously there's a million of them. Um, you know, you've got your ugly ones, you've got your dangerous ones. So you, 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 and you pick your pairs. You've kind of um, clarified them from that perspective, but there's still an awful lot that you could choose. So do you work out which animals will illustrate best? Is that how you make the decision of who's going to be on the, who's going to make the cut for the book?
2: Well, it, it was a few different areas, er- a few different things that I need to kind of focus on. And the first one, when I started Ugly Animals, I remember doing a couple um, like uh, polls up on my socials and some Facebook pages, um, being like, tell me what the ugliest animal you know is, oh, you know, tell yeah. me <laughs> what, when you think of ugly animals, what is it? And, and then I would also, I remember, I, I think it was for a uni because I was doing maybe trying to make some results for my thesis or something like that and so I I started putting up um, typical ugly animal um, uh, pictures that you find on Google onto uh, some Facebook pages and I was saying you know what do you think when you see this animal is it ugly or not and then I started getting these hilarious responses and I think I still have a uh, excel folder somewhere of a file of all the different funny answers but you know, like an elephant seal and a blobfish and just what they imagine those characters would be saying and, and you know, some really funny kind of disses as to why they look so funny. But um, so that really helped me learn these are the creatures that everyone knows of. Um, I'm either going to choose a few of them or stay away from some of them because I don't want it to be uh, a book that everyone's like, oh, yeah, I've already seen all of those animals, so I don't need to pick it up. Uh, and so, sense. yeah, it, it ended up me being me typing after I got to like I think it was 40 animals and I was like there's no I can't find 20 more you know there's no more ugly animals on the planet I've gone through them all (laughs) and so I was typing in google fish with big nose and um (laughs) (laughs) bald bird just to see what on earth came up to try and figure out if it was a real animal or photoshopped and and then if it was real I go okay now I've got to find out what that is and why it looks that way and and that's wow. how I came up with uh, a good portion of the Extra Bizarre uh, Ugly Animals. Excellent. Um, so
1: the new book, *Peculiar: The in- Illustrated Encyclopedia of Peculiar Pairs in Nature, which is a lovely long title, um, <laughs> is a celebration of relationships in the plants and animal worlds. Can you tell us a bit about where the inspiration for this one came from?
2: Yeah, so I after the first two books, um, I knew after the first book, we had, I had been signed up for two more books. So I knew that there was going to be one along the way. And, and as I was making dangerous, I was still pretty, uh, you know, engrossed in the project. So I wasn't even thinking about what was next. I was just like trying to get it done, trying to think about, you know, how to make it as good as I could. And then I handed it all in and, uh, I waited a while and kind of put things off and I was like, Oh, you know, it'll come to me. It'll just come to me. And it wasn't. And, <laughs> and so, I started having my um, my due date get closer and closer, and I think at this point it was still a year away, so I still have plenty of time. But I was like, okay, I got to actually think about what is the perfect kind of uh, end to this trilogy, essentially. And 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 so I ended up teaming up with uh, a not for profit environmental organization called the BCT, and so Hachette um, the publishers and the BCT, and um, and we worked together to. Uh, basically think about a more sciencey and more Australian-based interesting world that we could discover. And And, and the BCT was great because they had scientists and, and ecologists and biologists and everything, part of their team. So they really helped me with that complex side of things. Mm. And we kept coming back to uh, symbiosis and um, mutualism. And if you're not 100% sure as to what that is, it's, it's essentially where two species, animals and animals, plants and plants, animals and plants, they come together in nature to assist one another and to help each other survive and and symbiosis is means that they cannot survive without one another and so you know there were so many examples of that we were getting really excited about you know oh this is this pair and this pair this is going to be a fantastic book and we also kept realizing you know oh but what about the parasitic ones you know that's that's not symbiosis that's a whole other world uh, and, and commensalism, which is where one benefits and the other is not impacted negatively or positively. And so there were two areas that I had ruled out by thinking about symbiosis and, and a lot of pairs at the end of the day. And so we kept thinking, okay, let's find a word, a title that encompasses everything. And that's where Peculiar Pairs was born because we wanted to make sure we we featured the amazing and special relationships that were pretty and also not pretty.
1: I think that's great. Like for me, it's all, I, it kind of came on my desk and I was like, oh, yes, this is so great because <laughs> this has always fascinated me so much. You know, you get those David Attenborough documentaries and, and series and stuff like that and it's these weird you know, things where two species or whatever have come together in a very strange way to make sure that they survive, that I just find the most fascinating aspect of nature. So for me, this was like, this is the winner book for me. I I was like, this is brilliant. I mean, ugly animals I was on board for, dangerous animals, yes. Okay, but this one was like, this is brilliant. Um, But I'd imagine that there would have been some hard decisions about what to include and what to leave out of this one as well.
2: Yeah, and, and as I was making it, I was like, I had this realization that this is the best concept that I have uh, thought of so far in in this in this point of time. Like I loved ugly animals, I love dangerous, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And and so I'm so pleased that I'm able to have three books that I'm incredibly proud of that reflect me as an artist, me as you know, an environmental advocate, and and everything to do with that. And so I was really excited to and passionate about working on these projects, which I find is really important uh, when actually making a book because you want to enjoy it at the end of the day Uh, but so many of these pairs were complex and I was trying to figure them out and I had this word doc of of one to 60 and I would put in the peculiar pairs and they were constantly getting swapped out by other pairs maybe the (laughs) ones that were too too common and, and some as well that were too similar there's a lot of feeder relationships which is Basically where an animal, you know, uh, I've got some examples of there the, um, the green sea turtle and the yellow tang fish where they pick off the parasites and the dead skin off the shell. And so there's a few examples of that that I found were different enough to all go inside, but there was a lot I had to cull because um, of that similar relationship of of feeding off an animal. Ah, right. That makes sense. (laughs) Well, um, you you
1: touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, your your series has, what I love about them is that they've kind of got that old-fashioned textbooky vibe, but they're whimsical as well. They're like a reference book with personality. Were you involved in the design of the books as well as the illustration? I know that you said you had complete control over the illustration side of things, but Mm -hmm. when it came to actually –
2: the look of the book on the shelf, how much input did you have into that? It was, they, they did uh, allow me to have a lot of input. And and at the very beginning, I was like a little, I was a little worried as to, you know, what is this going to look like? It might be the artworks are mine, the text is mine, but it will be something that reflects me Mm. by looking at it. And they were really good. I remember the first thing was um, they said, oh, why don't you show us some other mock-ups, maybe some sketches as to what you imagine the inside being like and the cover. And so I have these sketches somewhere. I, I might send them to you um, if I can find them. And um, it's basically these really funny sketches of of the a wall of text and an animal on one page and and then I think some little smaller drawings on the text page. So it's really actually stayed very similar. All and right. the front cover um, had a lot of like zoomed-in animals all kind of creeping on the page. So it, it stayed in that direction and then we had – an actual designer who knew what they were doing and that (laughs) was Astrid Hicks and she's absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, she's brilliant. uh, She does amazing work. She does. She's absolutely amazing. So she helped uh, design uh, the cover for almost all of them. I think Daniel Daniel as well, I can't remember his last name. Daniel did uh, Ugly Animals, I believe, on the cover Um, and Daniel knew. And and so uh, Astrid did all the internals as well and and she <laughs> took my terrible notes and designs and, and brought them to life and actually made it look beautiful. And, and she uh, chose, you know, the, the beautiful font and she made and she chose all the animals to go on the front and, and had the beautiful red cloth spine and the, and the background texture. And, and she did all of that hard work. So I can't take credit for that. She deserves all of the credit.
1: So has anything, like you've done three books now, has anything surprised you about the publishing process?
2: Oh, uh, a lot, to be honest. I, I stepped into the publishing world not knowing anything. Uh, I didn't understand what royalties were. I didn't understand what an advance was. I didn't know about uh almost anything <laughs> so it was the publisher company were uh, great they they helped explain as best they could um <laughs> as to what on earth any of this stuff means and, and the rest was just mum and I doing our research trying to figure out in layman's terms as to like what is an advance what what is what, <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> no, and because and I didn't have any author friends or illustrated friends I couldn't ask anyone and I wasn't going to just contact a random author and be like excuse me um how much is a good advance and so fortunately, I have a wonderful publishing company, and they gave me a great deal. So I didn't need to worry about being ripped off. But I know that a lot of people who step into the world who aren't so fortunate to get a good or reliable company can feel overwhelmed and and sometimes get a bad deal or ripped off. So uh, that has been uh, great for me on my end. Um, I'm trying to think anything in particular. I would say, It would have to be just the advanced side of things, understanding, you know, when you earn your royalties and and I don't know if many people know, but you don't actually start earning royalties from a book until your advance is paid off Mm. and and, uh, until it's earned in royalties, which I can't even explain it today. But um, that was something that I found most interesting.
1: Yeah, okay. So uh, you're working as a full-time author illustrator now?
2: I am. This is my first... I would say a year, pretty much 12 months uh, in the month now as to uh, me working as a full-time author illustrator from home. It's been very exciting. Fantastic. So that means that you've essentially done like at least one
1: of these quite time-consuming, I would imagine, books, um, if not more, um, while you were doing other things as well. So how did you fit it all in?
2: Well, the first book, um, so I was doing uh my honours and I was also working in retail at Smiggle. And if you don't know what Smiggle is, it's a uh, <laughs> stationery. <laughs> very smelly, yeah, a very colourful stationery store. Um and so a lot of my um uh, coworkers there, they were along for the journey and finding every I think I worked like a couple, couple days on the weekend, maybe sometimes during the week. So it wasn't too crazy and there were like three, four hour cover shifts, but I'd pop in and tell them the news news about the book and just the book kind of deal. And they'd be like, oh, that's so exciting. And the next week I'd have more information. Um, And then I left that job, uh, went overseas to Borneo for two weeks for um, the uni. It was to do with uni as well. And then with Dangerous Animals, I had a break between uh, half of the book. So between one half of Uglies and then Dangerous. And so then I started working at another retail store, uh, Dangerfield, which is a fashion brand and absolutely love it. And so I was working there for a while and so those co-workers, they got to learn the journey of dangerous animals with me and, and it was really special being able to share that um, and it made so many great friends along the way. And so uh, towards, I think it was towards the end of the first year of the pandemic, which however long ago was that, last year, end of last year. You know, um, time has no meaning. Oh, I'm just trying to think back. I stopped <laughs> working because I think everything started to close so it kind of worked well. And I said, "Look, I need some time off to finish this dangerous book because the deadline was coming." And um, and so I stopped working there. And from then, the pandemic kind of continued, and so I stopped. And then I was able to find my feet, and I was able to, uh, with this third book, get a grant from the Biodiversity Conservation Trust, which basically kickstarted me into working full time as a career. And and that, along with you know the book uh, royalties incoming and, and the advances, really helped me kind of not feel scared to step into uh, full-time work from home and and now I can't imagine doing anything but this
1: <laughs> so how do you promote your books because you know several of them have <clears throat> come out in the pandemic are you very active on social media and and you know that sort of stuff
2: I am and that's probably um, it's probably a bit of an excuse uh, that I'm always on there promoting my social media but I'm usually just always on there looking and liking and commenting on other people's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> on tiktok i've been sucked in by tiktok now and um oh so you're doing tiktok i am i've just dived into the tiktok world so i feel like i feel like an old woman on there um oh you feel feel like an old woman (laughs) i feel like everyone knows that i'm over you know 18 over 18 Um, oh no run away exactly so i feel like i'm gonna get chased off there but no it's a really good app and, and i think it's a really good way to uh just get on some of those trends they're so funny some of the sounds and you can make videos too so i've really enjoyed that so what, um, what do I'm, you
1: do there sammy just out of interest and how do you see it as part of your book promotion
2: so um there's so many people people on tiktok that have different areas of interest and there's an art tiktok there's book i think it's book talk yep. is what like everyone kind of talks about and my way of, of involving my own art is there, there's a couple of trends. I think the first or second one I did was um, it was like a stand. It was like calling all artists, show me your your favourite artwork, show me your least favourite artwork, the one that took the longest, the shortest and some other things like that. So I flashed out some of my different ugly animals over the years and, and I think that that went semi-viral and got um, maybe a 100-ish thousand views or something like that. What? And I was like, I know. And my social media on, on Instagram is, has stayed at like four or 5,000 for, you know, 10 years almost. So I was like, what is happening? Um, they haven't all been that successful, unfortunately, but they usually involve, you know, uh, different sounds, either showing me um, my painting, my time lapse of me painting an animal uh, or maybe just showing, I can't even remember what, what else is on there, different uh, dangerous animals and, and progress from my in my early artworks in primary school to now so i find it's a really silly and and not so serious way to promote your work it's a great medium for visual artists i think like it's you know it's a great like
1: being an an author illustrator um i think the illustration aspect of it works so well um Definitely. particularly on the video platforms um, it's not as easy when you, you know, the most exciting thing you do is sit in front of your computer and, and type stuff.
2: <laughs> hey, you never know some of those, cause they have live features on, uh, TikTok and I've gone through the lives and they have things. It's just a sign. Someone's on the computer typing and it says, come study with me. And they have millions of viewers and sometimes, sometimes millions, usually like hundreds and thousands of viewers watching them in, in complete silence, just do their study and type. So they don't talk to the camera. And everyone just watches them live. So you might have. There you sense. go. I could go viral just <laughs>
1: typing very loudly and very fast. Still work beautifully. Some people fall asleep and they film themselves. People watch them sleep. So. Oh no! It I'm sorry. Be thing. You just lost me right there. <laughs> um, so what are you working on now, Sammy?
2: Well, uh, I'm in the fun stage of doing this uh, promotion and sort of um, uh, telling people about my new book. So that's taking up most of my time at the moment. Um, And I'm also in the fun stage of working out the concept for book four. So uh, yeah, I've been signed up for a couple more books. Fantastic. Which is really, really exciting. And now uh, Hachette and I have to put our brains together and uh, see what we can make that is kind of on brand, I guess you could say for me with, you know, unusual animals. But we're going to make sure it's different to the illustrated encyclopedias we we wanted to have the three and not overdo them and i didn't i didn't want to fall out of love with them so we we decided to keep it with the three okay. and uh, and something yeah, different yeah maybe picture books um, and something different so a different format i would imagine i won't be going far away from unusual animals and plants anytime soon so uh, yes That's what you can expect. (laughs) Fantastic. All right.
1: Now let's finish up today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, by the way. Where
2: can people find you online? Oh, so I, uh, unfortunately and fortunately, I'm on almost every single social media. I can't think of one I'm not on. (laughs) So you can, I'm most active on Instagram and uh, Facebook. So it's just Sammy Bailey, S-A-M-I-B-A-Y-L-Y, nice and simple. Uh, And if you want to follow me on TikTok and see my really uh, embarrassing videos. Might, I might join just to do that, I will sure, sure. <laughs> follow you. Um, and that is also semi-daily, so
1: nice and simple. Fantastic. All right, we're going to finish up then with our three top tips for author illustrators. What have you got for us?
2: Okay, so I was trying to think about this um, as we were chatting. So I would say that first and foremost, the most important advice I have for Uh, anyone in a creative industry, and I I believe that, um, you know, writing and illustrating are creative industries, uh, do not give up. Do not let what other people's opinions are of your career let you, uh, you know, give up on your own dreams and and career goals. The amount of people uh, that told me I wasn't going to be able to make a living from being an artist or, um, you know, creative careers, if I took their advice, I would be in a job that I hated right now doing, you know, art on the side and and really missing out on all these opportunities so fortunately my close friends and my family were really supportive and I think that definitely helped but if someone's out there telling you um, you can't do it you just turn around and you work extra hard and you prove that you can do it that's so important um, the other thing I would say is if you are finding that you're getting creative uh, creative block. And I got that a lot. Um, fortunately for me as an author and illustrator, and if you are that as well, you have two different sides of your brain essentially that you can switch between. And so if you're finding that you're blocked with your writing so you can't think of, you know, how to structure a sentence, you don't know what to talk about or write about, I would switch to doing a painting. So maybe start painting and sketching and and give one side of your brain a break and, and let it kind of enjoy yourself on the other side. Um, and lastly have fun with it. Honestly, uh, just choose a subject and a niche that you really enjoy because it's not going to feel like you are working a a job at the end of the day. I don't feel like I have a job because I'm doing stuff that I love and I'm doing stuff that I would be doing anyway if if I wasn't getting paid for it. So find a niche and an area of interest that you love and work hard at it.
1: Fantastic. Sammy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today.
0: Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of fun. Wow, how awesome. Some people are so talented, right? Oh, and so young. Let's just, so young. <laughs> let's just take a moment there.
1: Uh, you know, it was it's such an enjoyable interview. I, I really hope that our listeners enjoy, you know, listening to that as much as I enjoyed doing it because I, I just found it also interesting. Um, and you know, going down that rabbit hole is it's such a pleasure that's it's one of the great things about what we do um you know we do it for love, yeah. and those are the moments that just make the whole thing worthwhile I think yeah. it' was really 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 good
0: what were you doing when you were like you know twenty five uh Can you I remember? had just Yeah, no, I can
1: because I had just returned from overseas and I was working as the chief sub-editor at Vogue magazine, loving myself sick Um, (laughs) and just, you know, getting used to being back in Australia, having been overseas for two years, Yeah, um, just, you know, finding my way back into it and, yeah, just and from memory I was living by myself for the first time, like on my own in my own apartment as well. So, again, loving myself sick at that point. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, it was good. Like I, I, cause you know, I was very involved in magazines at that point and I loved yeah. it. It
0: was exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted to be doing. I was living my best life right there,
1: you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. They were definitely the heyday of uh, magazines as well. You know, I think we were very lucky to be in magazines at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm.
1: you know, I think that the real heyday was the was the uh, like the real full-on heyday was the 80s. We were lucky to be, you know, like because this we were was the, the tail end, end of the heyday. We were the tail end of it. You know, the long lunches were not as impressive at, by mm. that point as they had been.
2: Um, mm. But it was just
1: a great, like it was such a great job. I loved it. Oh, I loved yeah. everything about it. What I didn't love about it, I realised doing the chief sub-editor's job for a year was I didn't want to, to just to edit other people's work anymore. Mm. Like I was writing um, bits and pieces on the side but I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a features writer and so yep. from that point, so 25 was actually quite a, a quite an important, you know, point because I mm. started to really move myself into uh, writing and when I finished the chief sub-editor's job I really, Decided I wasn't going to take enough. There was quite a few, you know, editor sort of jobs available to me at that point and I decided at that point I wasn't going to do it because I wanted to move into features. I wanted to do that. Mm. So I took a job elsewhere um, in a sort of more of a corporate environment and freelanced on the side and that's how I built my portfolio. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was working a million hours a week. But who, what did I care because I was 25, I was living in my own yeah. apartment, I could do whatever I wanted. I was eating tuna yeah. and chickpeas for dinner most nights. It was fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I was also... <laughs> totally fine um, I had also at that point started writing you know romance novels I was beginning to move ah. into into that as well like I was you know dabbling in in that while I built my voice in in uh, feature so it was a big 25 is a big year like a I think yeah, it often is
0: yeah.
1: um, not as big as you know Sammy's obviously but you know. <laughs> Oh, you know, she. I think it's amazing oh, that she had such a clear God. idea of what she wanted to to really do at that point. But I have yeah. to say that at 25, I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing too. Yes. Like I, I yes. you know, like yeah, I think it's just when I look back on it, um, I was really
0: lucky that way. It was it worked out well. My equivalent of chickpeas in tuna was because yep. um, when I was 25 I was at Girlfriend Magazine and it was just the most exciting thing for me at the time because you got yeah, to meet so many interesting fun. people and meet celebrities and stuff like that. Oh, so um, fun. Like, but really, my like when you look
1: back on it, we worked so hard, but it was so fun. It was
0: so much fun. <laughs> um, was, uh, and it, to this day I still love it. Um, canned peeled tomatoes and onion and balsamic vinegar. Oh. <laughs> The number of times I ate that. That's even worse. You didn't even have like
1: a protein in that. Like you didn't even – you had a can of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're telling me? And onions, like
0: fried onions, onions. yeah. See, at least
1: (laughs) I had a tin of chickpeas and a tin of tuna. And if I was feeling really, really Mm -hmm. exotic, I would add, you know, a red onion and then throw some (laughs) balsamic over the top. And the number of times that I ate that for dinner at 9 o'clock when I got home at night, so many times. But because, you know – we were doing those hours, those really yes. long hours, you know. Yes. So, anyway, Got to listen to times- us. It's like we've just totally forgotten <laughs> that we have high out there. We, we do know you're still there, and we are <laughs> rabbiting on like we've just met at a reunion after
0: 20 oh, years. Oh <laughs> my God, that's crazy. Sorry, All Sammy. Right. Trying to, we're not trying to take away the limelight there. <laughs> um, <sighs> where do we find you online now? Uh, you'll
1: find me at because now I'm a children's author and I have moved yes. into a totally different world. You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at A-L-T-A-I-T. A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tait Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you these days?
0: <laughs> you'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And hopefully you'll join us in our Facebook listener community. Because uh, we're always in there and it's great to see all the conversations from yeah. listeners of this podcast who are Valerie talking will about share things her, writing. And
1: Valerie will share her recipe for, <laughs> it's for basic. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with onion and a dash of balsamic. <laughs>
0: it's pretty
1: simple we'd like to know actually you know what like talk us through your go-to meal when there's like when you were 25 and there was nothing you know to be had in the in the cupboard what did what was your go-to stand up in the kitchen meal I'd love to know I really would yeah
0: absolutely this wasn't even like because there was nothing in the cupboard it was just that was my this was your choice (laughs) oh this is what you chose to eat because
1: it was easy that's amazing, and I was poor. I had protein. I was having protein. Look at me. Like I, was,
0: <laughs> I was probably I was... too poor for protein.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's the other thing that people never understood about magazines was how mm. little money there was mm. in working in it. You were well, swinging around stuff. Yeah. Mm. Oh, when you yeah when you're on staff. When I mean, you know, I'd be at Vogue, and people would be swanning past in three thousand dollar outfits, and yep. I was in yep. tuna and chickpeas.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, if, and I tell you what, the tomato and balsamic my thing. <laughs> tomato and balsamic thing is a thing because when we you and i were at Clio, you know the fashion assistant that's all she had for lunch a a punnet of cherry tomatoes with balsamic vinegar because you know that was all she she could afford yes yes (laughs) yes all right let's move on let's move on i think we're finished and we're still talking (laughs) thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time bye